Good morning, my name is Emily Boyd. Our scripture is from Matthew 28. This can be found on page 835 of that Pew Bible. Page 835, Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went up into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. Turn that on, it'd be better. You can hear me say good morning again. Does that mean I've been singing the whole time in the thing? No, you muted me? Oh, good. Okay. You had that moment like a camcorder where like you're just looking at the ground and it comes up and you click it and had that fear. Uh, sorry, not on my notes at all. Glad you guys are with us. Hey, kids, I'm really thankful that you guys are here. Thanks for helping me at the beginning there with that response of he has risen, he has risen indeed. After the service, we have a surprise for you. Uh, Your parents may or may not know what it is, but I'll give you more instructions after the service. So you can't ask a whole bunch about it now, but I just wanted to let you know it's coming. So you have this like desire and goal to get us through the next few moments. It's actually going to be a little bit of a shorter sermon. Call it an Easter gift or Easter miracle. I'm going to try to shoot for about 20 minutes or so just to really explain what is the good news of Easter to us. In so many ways, like it's the centerpiece of the scriptures. It's the fulfillment of all of God's promises. It's not just something that happened in history 
way back then that we now memorialize or remember or celebrate. The way the Bible talks, what happened on that Easter Sunday was about a living God who still reigns, who we have access to, who atoned for our sins, and he assures us that we can be with him for forever. And it's the centerpiece of the scriptures, and so I really just want to encourage you with a couple of things that we see in this text. If you've been with us the last couple of months, we've been walking through the season of Lent. It's a 40-day journey minus Sundays, kind of preparing our hearts for this moment. We've been reading passages of scripture, and last week we started with the temple. When Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, this big triumphal entry, we see him come into the temple and he begins to uh, clean house. He flips over tables. He pronounces judgment. He says this whole system is corrupt, and I actually came to restore things and make this temple where it was supposed to be a place of prayer. And then we add you just read chapters throughout this week, getting us to chapter 28. So you've been in this story for a little bit if you've been following with us, and if not, let me just give you a little bit of context. You can roll the clock back really just three days from now where you have Jesus on trial, Jesus being betrayed, Jesus being tortured, Jesus being crucified. And in that moment, what you have is what a lot of us experience of like fear and doubt. And there's, there's episodes of denial and betrayal and tons of anxiety and disappointment and lots of things that happen in that moment where even his followers thought they could stand with him, actually turn away and abandon him. So, so think about the scene this morning as we read chapter 28. The backdrop is one of fear and shame, probably, a disillusionment, disappointment. There's not a sense in the text that the women were expecting to meet a resurrected Jesus, even though he had told them three times explicitly in the Gospel of Matthew that he was going to go to the cross, he was going to be buried, he was going to rise again. What we've read over the last couple of months is every time he says that, they resist or they have questions or they're confused. And so now in this moment, what we have is the most beautiful thing that history has ever seen and his followers are, are not actually expecting it. They're, they're, they're struggling, they're wrestling with fear and doubt. And as you read other gospel accounts and they fill in more details, what you see is a really sad, somber scene. One of the things I love about Easter is it mixes together for us what is normally in our hearts at the same time. Uh, things like joy and excitement and things like sadness and doubt and loss. Maybe even this morning that, that would mark you, right? We're, we're saying together, he is risen, he's risen indeed. And maybe you're just giving lip service or maybe you're actually trying to say it. Maybe you've never actually heard that before. But I would guess even if you're declaring that truth, there's still some stuff in your heart that, that feels disjointed, that has some, has some jagged edges. So Easter, when we kind of put this thing in context, pulls together stuff that feels like opposites, like death and life. Like joy and celebration and excitement and doubt and fear and shame. You see these spaces of unbelief and these spaces of belief. Even in the text that we read, did you catch it? It says they, they leave Jesus and they, they have fear and great joy. It's mixed together in their hearts. And we come down to verse 17. It says that some worshipped and still some doubted. And, and maybe that describes you. There's a desire to understand who God is. Maybe a desire even to believe these words would be true. And there's some kind of element of doubt. I say that just to kind of honor where you are and say that this text is speaking directly to you. In that mixture of fears and doubts and joys and excitements and things like weakness and power, things like love and justice, things like mercy and wrath, these things that feel like opposites when your heart feels 
torn a two, what's going on with this text speaks in the middle of it. Because what's holding those things together is a person. It's not a teaching or a doctrine or an event in history. It's a person. Jesus pulls together in this moment those things that often feel opposite for us. Life and death, joy and fear, regret and sadness, and this longing for forgiveness and redemption. So so I want to remind you of that if you're a follower of Jesus. What we're celebrating this morning is what you've placed your hope in. It's what makes you right with God. It's not the strength of your faith. It's not the absence of doubt that makes you right with God. It's who your faith is in. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to be honest about where you find yourself. God, God cares about you. He already knows He wants to speak to you this morning and where you feel somewhat conflicted. And maybe you're like, I have questions about God. There's things about Christianity that feel appealing to you. Maybe some things that actually repel you as you watch his followers in history and in the world around you. And maybe you feel drawn and pushed away. Maybe you feel some some kind of tension. I want to just name that tension to put us in this text to help us engage the good news of what Jesus actually did for us. Because again, it wasn't just something that happened in the past. It's something that has relevance for every day and for our entire future. There's a past and a present and a future impact to what Jesus came to do, which becomes really good news for you, really good news for me, finite beings in moments and time and space who have lots of questions to hear there's answers that are bigger than we are. There's answers that span actually millennium. There's answers that go into eternity to address the particular urgent, painful, jagged places where we live. That's actually the good news of Easter. And I say I just want to remind you of three things. There are hundreds, actually thousands of implications to the resurrection. Most of the New Testament is aimed at unpacking those for us, connecting the truth of the resurrection to everything about our lives. So it speaks to everything because it's about a person who's at the center of the universe. The gravitational pull of the universe is around Jesus, which means everything about your life, all your longings, all your sadness, all your fears, all your hopes, all the things that you're looking to, the things that you long for, have an answer and fulfillment, and they have mercy, and they have have help and hope in Jesus. So so he actually is the center of everything. So to just talk about three little things, we'll we'll just tip at it, maybe just to be encouraged by that. The the brevity here will just be a, a... a small token or a small taste of actually what is to come. So, so let me just, with that framework, can I ask you just to bow your head for a second? Let me just pray over us. I wonder if you would just be bold in where you are to ask God to speak to you specifically this morning. I know there's stuff to do this afternoon and you got family or, or maybe you'll actually be alone this afternoon. I'm not sure what your day is like. There's a lot on your mind. Take a deep breath. Ask God to speak to you now in this moment. God, please hear our prayers. Would you answer these requests for you to speak? There's a lot going on in our lives. There's a lot going on in this passage. These first followers of you experienced so many things. Into that complexity, would you come now and speak and help us? Would you, in a particular personal ways, speak to my sisters and my brothers? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here, just a real quick review of the story that you had read. You have a a day of death and crucifixion on a Friday. He's in the grave on Saturday. And now Easter Sunday morning as they get ready to kind of go to the body, again, not expecting him to be raised, going to actually tend to his body. They actually come in this space in chapter 28, verse 1. They're walking to the tomb, and 
The other gospel accounts tell us that they're wondering how they're going to get this tomb open. There's a huge stone that was rolled in front of it. And this text says that an angel used an earthquake to open up the tomb. You have earthquakes here. You have darkness as well. What you have is the creation crying out that the creator has been crucified. In that space, you have these miraculous signs like like earthquakes and darkness. That's what moves the tomb. There's an angel there. When they get on the scene, there's been soldiers there who are terrified. Actually, when you read this section, you'll see fear and being afraid all over this thing. You have even the cover-up story, I think, is rooted in fear. So what's going on as they're walking to the tomb has a whole lot to do with being afraid, which I find some comfort in as a guy who deals with anxiety. God speaks into that space of fear and being afraid. They come to the tomb, and would you just notice what you have here is eyewitnesses to these accounts. You might know this from history, but you, you would rarely put witnesses on the stand in the ancient world that were women. So to have women as the first people on the scene is both telling us this is historically accurate. It's showing their devotion to Jesus. The men have long since departed. The men have run. The men have denied. The men have been away. And here's these faithful women coming to care for Jesus. But there's this eyewitness account in these moments that they record and tell us what took place there at the tomb. So, so the angel is there. The guards are, are terrified. They, they, they leave trembling, it says in verse 4. And then the angel speaks to the women and tells them not to be afraid in verse 5. So I know that you're seeking Jesus who was crucified, but, but he's not here. He's already risen. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away to come out of the tomb. He had already rose. The stone being rolled away gives them a chance to come in, it says, and see. It says in verse 6, come and see the place where he was laid. Come, come and bear witness. Come give evidence to the fact that he actually rose and he's not here anymore. And then the angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going to come to them in Galilee, which he had told them he was going to do earlier. So, so they leave and depart quickly. And the text says there in verse 8 again that they're mixed with fear and great joy. The thing they've longed for and hoped for has come true, but it's still so confusing. It's still so, so wrapped in mystery. There's so many things about it that are hard to take in in that moment. So they run to tell the disciples. And it says, and behold, Jesus meets them on the way. And, and he greets them. This would be amazing. And their response is the right response. They, they fall down and they worship him. And Matthew makes a note here that they, they took hold of his feet to let you know this was a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. It wasn't metaphorical. It wasn't spiritual. What he did was actually real and tangible. They, they grab a hold of his feet and they worship him. And then Jesus says it again for the fourth time. Hey, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers who, who are in Galilee. Go tell them what's happened, and then I'll go there, and they will see me. So, so into that space, into that story, I want to just give you kind of three things that happen. Two happen because of signs and one of what Jesus says. And I want to go back to chapter 27 for these first two points. I want you to see that, that this resurrection of Jesus gives us access to God. It atones for our sin, and it assures us of God's presence going forward. It gives us access to God. It atones for our sin and it gives us assurance of God's presence actually for forever. So, so back in 27, let me show you this. In verse 50, it says, here's Jesus on the cross, that he cries out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He, he died. This is now Good Friday where he died. And then check out what verse 51 says. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the whole earth shook and the rocks were split. 
This first sign of the curtain in the temple being torn tells us that what was separating us from God has now been dealt with. If you were here last week, remember Jesus comes into the temple and he sees all these injustices happening. He flips over tables. He begins to clean house. But this is not Jesus now just setting things in order. This is Jesus removing barriers that our human worship could never actually accomplish on its own. There was no amount of animal sacrifices or no amount of of obedience to the law that could make our souls right. We needed something more. And for millennium, God's people had, had dealt with God at a distance. They always needed a mediator. This curtain separates the holy of holies where you could only come into one time a year and only the high priest could come and only on the day of atonement. So catch the imagery there. Here's Jesus. The scriptures say is our great high priest atoning for our sin. And the curtain is being torn between where God's presence is and where his people are. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for you to have access to God. And the fact that it's torn from the top to the bottom says this is God's doing. What what an amazing comfort amidst all of our doubts that what Jesus came to do as the living God is make a way for us to actually be in relationship with him and have access to him. Think about the way fears are dispelled when you're just not alone. When someone is there, someone is there with you. And in that space, what we see is that God came into our world to make right what was broken. We were always meant to be in God's presence. We were always meant to live with God. And our first parents back in the garden chose to disobey. And John actually makes effort to say this tomb is in a garden. So the Bible is going back to a garden where all the trouble began in the first place to say that Jesus stepped into that space to renew and make all things new. Jesus died to give you access to God. He removed the barrier that was between you and him. And that barrier, whether you acknowledge God or not, you, you feel. You feel the sense that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. You sense that there's something that you, you need and long for. You might try to fill it with work. You might try to fill it with relationships or certain pleasures or experiences or achievement. But there's this ache inside. You're designed to be with God. And what Jesus did in so many ways is restore us to the way things were always meant to be. So it wasn't just a historical event. There's a a living God who accomplished a living thing to give us access to God himself. That, That ache you have is pointing you back to a God who actually died in your place, which is really good news. So there's a barrier there that he deals with. And the next point, the barrier actually is rooted in our sin. We have access to God and we also have atonement from our sins. Stay with me in chapter 27 here. The curtain is torn in two. That's verse 51. And then something remarkable happens in chapter uh, 27, verse 52. It says this, that the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Okay, if you think the resurrection of Jesus is a mysterious big deal, then this is actually pretty phenomenal. Matthew's the only gospel writer that records this event, but, but he would know that it was phenomenal or odd or, or something spectacular, that he records it for us, gives us some evidence that it was historical. The earliest manuscripts talk about this. So we should just ask, like, what's going on? And here's the deal. When the Old Testament saints died, the scriptures say in Hebrews that they died having not yet experienced the full promise of God. Romans 3 tells us that, that when they died and in God's patience, he had overlooked their sin. Because of his patience and his forbearance, he overlooked their sin. And now because of what Jesus has done, he's able to pay for that sin that happened those centuries or millennium ago. Think through the Old Testament with me for just a moment. Maybe you're not even familiar with church, but you've heard some of these characters like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. 
You have these amazing people who have faith in God, but they also commit horrific acts of sin. There's murder and adultery and and betrayal, even human trafficking of their own spouses. You have heinous things happening in the Old Testament of these people who say they follow God. They have faith in God. And there's no atonement or sacrifice prescriptive for things like adultery and murder in the Old Testament. It's not like if you kill somebody, it's just a couple of doves and a few sheep and you can make that happen. Actually, something deeper is needed. There's no amount of animal sacrifices that would ever atone for that. So they've been waiting, essentially, for the sins that they have committed to be forgiven. And when Jesus dies on the cross, this text tells us those sins are forgiven. And they're able now actually to go be in the presence of God. So when we die post-Jesus, your soul will go be with God while your body is here. This is their souls going to be with God. The, the things that had happened in the past have now been forgiven. What they longed for has now been fulfilled. Okay, so there is atonement for their sin. Make application to yourself. Think about your past. Think about the things that you're haunted by, the things that you wish were different, the things that you, you wonder is there a way to cover or heal from or get over those things. If Jesus' death is able to apply retroactively to those sins, then it can apply to your sins as well. Jesus died to give access to God, and he died to atone for our sin. This was the problem that we had. Jesus took it upon himself, and he said he was going to do that. And words are really nice. Words are helpful. Words are comforting. But that he went to the cross shows he was willing to make the sacrifice. And rising from the dead shows that he had the power to actually do it. He wasn't just willing, he, he had power. And as he dies in that place, it applies to those who trusted in God before and to those of you who are in the room who are trusting in God now. But the powerful atonement of Jesus, because he was God himself, he could die for the sins of the world is the way the scriptures talk. So for your questions of shame and fear and regret, sadness and loss, things that you wish were different about your life, hear the good news that Jesus died to forgive those things. And that forgiveness isn't, again, just something that happened in the past. It's a living reality that changes and shapes who you are right now. So, so we have access to God. There's atonement for sin. And then third, I just want to talk about the assurance we have of God's presence forever. So those first two are from signs. Come back with me now in verse 28 to something Jesus says. The very last verse in verse 20, after Jesus has told them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go now and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. He says, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection made it possible for our hearts of stone to be opened up and become hearts of flesh. The promise in the Old Testament was that, that God was going to come and do something in the new covenant promise that was going to change us from the inside out. No longer would the law be on the outside, external things that we obey. Now it comes from the inside. And when that happens, we're able to actually encounter the Holy Spirit in ways that God comes to live inside of us. In John 14 and 16, Jesus says these remarkable things. He's telling them that he's going to go away, he's going to die, and they, they freak out about that. But he tells them it's actually good for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to come and be with you. And now I'm not just a man in a body in a space, but the eternal God of the universe through his Spirit is able to live inside of you, which means you're never alone. The good news of the resurrection, because it wasn't just an event, it was about a person, means you're not by yourself. And Jesus promises to be with you, again, to catch that word, always. Not just when you're in a jam, or contrasting, not just when things are going well, 
not just when you're doing good and not on a run of sobriety, but actually when, when you're in the midst of everything in that space where you feel the brokenness and the doubt and the fear, Jesus says he's with us through his spirit always. Again, the way fear is dealt with when you're just simply not alone. There's a power in this. There's a pardon of sin that takes place that we have access to God and he actually moves towards us in relationship is why the resurrection is good news. What it accomplished for us changed not just the history of the world, but it changes your, your very life. We could talk for a long, long time about other things that exist, but I want you to see those and I particularly want you to put them on top of that context of fear and doubt. I want to give you permission to have places in your life that aren't buttoned up, that have some jagged edges, that, that actually don't feel like they're tidy and neat. It's into that space that these promises come. You can have access to God in that very place. He atoned for the sins that you feel in that very space. He actually gave you his presence through the Spirit in ways where you're not alone. God actually lives and he rose and he came to change everything so you could be forgiven and set free. That, that's the good news of this Easter morning. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you receive those with joy? Would you remember? And maybe you live like you don't have access. Maybe you live in shame like you, your sins haven't been atoned for. Maybe you're feeling quite isolated and alone. Would you hear the good news that God is with you? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you hear the invitation? This is written for us to see what God has done to invite us. Even naming the fears and doubts and the spaces where they're struggling is to give you permission to bring those struggles to God and ask for him to speak to you. On the back of your bulletin, there's some prayers. In a moment, we're going to take communion, and it's for those who are following Jesus. If that's not where you're at, I would still love for you to engage in this moment. There's some prayers there for, for belief. There's also prayers struggling with unbelief. So, so wherever you find yourself, and maybe it's a mixture of both, would you just stay in your seat here in a moment and just pray those prayers? Ask for God to speak to you, the, the living God who died in your place to make a way for you to be forgiven and free. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we'll, we'll come and take communion. And remember in this scene over what's happening, right before Jesus is betrayed, he actually takes the Lord's Supper. It's the Passover meal. It's the symbol of, of God delivering his people in the Exodus story in the Old Testament. It's into that place that Jesus chooses to show himself most clearly and says, hey, this bread that you once ate in haste leaving Egypt, it represents my broken body. And, and this cup that you drink, it actually represents my blood. So he gives a symbol of a way to, to take Jesus in, to by faith say, this is the story that I'm trusting. I'm trusting his broken body and his shed blood, which is the hope for all the world. For anyone who would believe that you can have this resurrection hope, this access to God, this atonement, and this assurance. If you're trusting Christ, I want to invite you to take communion. The way we do it here is we tear a piece of the bread off and we dip it in the cup. Someone will say over you, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And as you dip it in the wine or the juice, they'll say, it's juice. As you dip it into the juice, they'll say, this is his blood shed for you. And it's a reminder of what Christ did, the living God who came into our place. I want that to encourage you and nourish you. And if you're not ready to believe yet, would you just sit in your seat and pray? Uh, and then we'll stand together and we'll sing. Would you bow your head with me? Servers can come forward and the band can take the stage. Let me just pray over you and then we'll take communion and sing. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thanks for taking on flesh. Thanks for living the life that you lived. Thanks for dying in our place in such a way that you made these things and many, many more possible. We celebrate and worship you this morning for, for the good news of what you have done, that you made it able for us to have our sins forgiven, that you give us access 
and that you actually promised to be with us. So would you encourage my friends with that good news? And would you stir faith and belief in everyone in the room? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I come take communion when you're ready and then we'll sing together.